Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Walleye is the nothing personal word of the day for Tuesday, October 4th, 2022. Walleye as in the fish that you catch when you go fishing in the Hudson River or the East River or Lake Michigan or the Atlantic Ocean. I don't have the first idea where you catch walleye because I can't quite come to terms with the reality of getting on a boat and sitting there for five hours waiting for something to tug at a string at a line that has a hook and a worm and bait and then you bring it in and then you first have to start dealing with preparation and filleting and cutting and oh I missed that bone sorry don't choke never been the greatest fisherman never been the old man in the sea tell you what I am though is someone who pays attention to stories that pique my interest IQUE there was a walleye fishing tournament in Ohio and here's how this works apparently what you do is you go in a boat, you spend a couple hours and say, who can catch the most pounds of a certain type of fish? Come back, you get it weighed like in Jaws with the big shark. And whoever gets the most pounds wins. What do you win? Money. So there are people who take this stuff seriously, right? They practice, they've got machines where they can see where the fishies are. And then they've got special state-of-the-art Home Depot built with your own saw. You can make like fishing hooks or, or poles. I mean, everyone's got amazing poles. Fine. So you're in Ohio. You start fishing. You come back. And all of a sudden, you have the biggest walleyes ever. It's amazing. People are ooing and eyeing and cheering, and they go to the big weight thing like at a carnival where you stand on a big scale, and one of the court jesters says, I'll guess your weight within five pounds. Sure you will. Did you know I just had an 18-ounce flat? Now try to guess it. Or do you know that I'm wearing Spanx? Or even better, I've got a pillow prosthetic on my belly because I want a free stuffed animal. It's called cheating. So they get off the water, these walleye fishermen. I'd like to keep them nameless, but I don't think I'm going to. How about a last name of Runyon? Is that real, do you think? 
Damon Runyon is the guy's name. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. It's actually Jacob Runyon. Ah, a little Broadway humor on a random Tuesday at approximately 11.44. If you're in Greenwich, gets out of the boat, puts the walleyes on the scale, and the head of the tournament says, wow, that's one hell of a walleye. Congratulations. And then a couple of the other anglers said, that doesn't seem possible to have a walleye that heavy. And they said, let's trust but verify. They do a little slit right in the walleye's gizzard. And out comes a bunch of lead weights and chicken tenders or Kentucky fried fish. And then the walleyes didn't weigh so much anymore. And guess what happened? They're going to get arrested because they committed fraud. These guys were so interested in winning the walleye tournament that they thought the best plan was to stuff the walleye and then hope they didn't get caught. Is that the theory that cheaters use in general? I got to thinking about this last night as I was talking to Coca pre-show last night, this morning, thinking about the steps people take to gain an advantage. There was an expression, it was very unfortunate that we would say inside the clubhouse, if you ain't cheating, you ain't trying. Forget the fact that it's bad grammar. And we were not exactly referring to anything other than sign stealing, maybe tapping the garbage can from time to time, maybe having some Vaseline in places, a little suntan lotion in a covered stadium where the sun don't shine. Maybe saying if the umpire lost track of balls and strikes that we're not going to say a word. Maybe if we know that we're out and replay got it wrong, we're not going to say a word. It's not, gentlemen, call your own foul. If you break the rules, if you make it, you take it. Bruce Hornsby. It's none of that. This is not life and death. It is gambling, though. What makes us think that cheating is the way to go? We're taught cheaters never prosper, except that is aspirational. The fact of the matter is cheaters do prosper because they're caught way less than they cheat. Therefore, their behavioral modifications are not necessary because they believe the juice is worth the squeeze or the filet is worth the money. But now the district attorney's involved and they're gonna do some digging and find out what exactly happened. I'm not sure I understand that. There's video of the fish being cut open and stuff falling out of the fish. Oh, I get it, the fish may have eaten the lead weights and the fish fillets. I'm not exactly sure how the fishies would suture themselves, but don't bother me with details. So you're sitting on the boat and you make the decision to put the needle in your ass. Ah, that's a mixed metaphor. You're sitting on the toilet. Do you decide in advance? Is it a spur of the moment thing? I don't think it can be because you need the right equipment. Right, you gotta get it on the boat first. So there's about 20 different times that cheaters can say, you know, I'm gonna rethink my position. There's the conceptual stage, 
there's the implementation stage and then there's the holy crikeys we're doing it stage and then you get to the point which I've talked about on the show when you're flying across the ocean and you get to the point of no return and say all right we're landing in Europe now or we're landing in Hawaii now or Asia there's that point when the fish is on the scale is that the point no how about the point when you're getting the check is that the final point no when you deposit the check ah the point of no return it's different when you do steroids the point of no return there is when the actual needle is inside you and you press the syringe down to put the steroids in you or you take the set of the clean and the clear and the cream and the paste and the tooth and then you hit a home run and then you pee in a cup or you have someone else pee in a cup that's the point of no return on steroids the thought process fascinates me because the decision is on a smaller scale made by so many people who believe that shortcuts are the way to go you see it in your office all the time you see it in your workplace where people do the bare minimum you see it in school you see it in classrooms look at the person next to you on your left or right the odds are that at least one person on your left or right is doing the bare minimum to get by raise your hand if you're guilty that in school my hands raised if you're not watching nothing personal with david sampson on youtube my hand is raised and my blazer's a little short where you do the bare minimum to get what is required in the class. If you need an A, you do what's required to get an A. If you need a B, C, or just a P versus an F, because you need the credit. It doesn't mean you read less. There's a whole invention of monarch notes, cliff notes, where it's meant to be a shortcut. You don't have to read the book, just read the summary. There's an entire inter-Google devoted to people who want to take shortcuts to learning something, doing something, cheating on something. We are a culture of cheaters. We are a society of cheaters. We are a, what do we call it, Coca? A homo sapien? A hetero sapien? What is the word? We are a, 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 oh my God. Coca, what's in my head? Only you know. We are a species. Thank you. You nailed it. Good morning, Coca. We are a species of cheating. We want something we don't have. We figure out a way to get it. Even when it's impossible, we figure out a way to get it. Ah, it's breaking the rules. Who's going to know? And the problem is we then draw our own lines. This is not going to hurt anybody. This is hurting myself if I get caught. Maybe it's hurting my family. Maybe it's hurting my friends. Maybe it's hurting my competitors. Maybe it's hurting civilization as we know it. Ah, we'll draw the line of the boundary somewhere else. It's all fuzzy. We don't know when we're stepping over it or on it. What goes through your mind? Is it just about a moral compass? Is it just about making good decisions every step of the way when there's temptation? Does it go back to Adam and Eve for crying out loud? The temptation of the apple. I wonder what that signifies. Are you boring when you don't cheat? Are you not able to achieve the most you can if you're not willing to go right to the edge, but then when the edge moves, you get caught? 
does society only go forward with the inventions of people who cheat? I have been thinking about this for the evening. And I came to the following conclusion. Our best chance is that when we cheat, we are smart enough to know that the object is greater than the process. The object is attaining something, fame, fortune, a heavy walleye, a big contract, that the accomplishment will make us cleanse our own conscience. Now go the next step of my conclusion. What's on your list? What is worth that? Because at the end of the day, you look yourself in the mirror, don't you? Don't you ever think about the people who cheat? Think about Jacob running and say, hey, when he was on his boat in Cleveland, in Ohio, when he had the lead weights and the fish fillets, when he was looking for the walleyes, which he may have just dropped in the water, by the way. We don't even know if he got them at the edge of a hook by chance and then cut them open and then shoved weights up their gizzards. Did he say to himself the whole time, the object is the money and I need the money because I'm caring for a sick relative or I need the money because I'm overdue on my payments. I'm going to lose my home and my kids are not going to be able to live anywhere but a shelter. What is the object? Is it ego? Survival? I was in Africa this summer watching animals survive. Animals cheat all the time. I've never seen anything like it. There's bait and switch. They try to get predators away from them by pretending they're somewhere they're not. Hide the kills they have in order to make sure they can eat before hyenas get to it or vultures. It's all about misdirection, misconception, and survival. Maybe what human beings do is we just have changed the definition of what survival is. Because cheating is happening everywhere. And when you are in the sports world, the concept of cheating goes against all of our notion of what is fair play. Fair play is when you watch a match, you want to assume that both sides have the same chance of winning, but for the difference in ability. Not but for the difference in their moral center. Not but for the difference in what equipment they have access to. Or different rules that they have to abide by, you want to assume a level playing field. What the hell is the fun of Gladiator if someone's on a chain with a kitchen knife and the competitor is free and has a huge spear? Doesn't seem as much fun. There is a huge scandal, not just in fishing, but in chess going on right now. And it's all about cheating. When I was told this story by Coca and then I looked into it, my first thought was, how do you cheat in chess? It makes no sense. You, it's not like cards where you can hide the rook in your back pocket and pull out three queens at just the right time. It's not like you can weigh the dice in backgammon. I can see cheating in backgammon. Wow, you got double sixes again? What are the odds? I can't figure out the whole chess cheating thing. And then I read the two words that made it all seem okay. Anal beads. 
It lost out on word of the day to walleye. But it was a damn close second during show prep. Chess players apparently can put anal beads where the sun don't shine and they vibrate to tell you what the next move is. Remember yesterday's show, we talked about analytics. Well, there's analytics in chess. And every time there is a move, as you know, there's about 20 different moves that could be made. And then a computer can tell you what the result will be of those 20 moves, assuming the player you're playing against knows how to react to the moves you're making and reacts in a way that the computer believes that human being will react. Pawn to B6, hit. Beep, beep, Uh, vibrate. Does that really happen? Guess what? In chess, there's someone named Magnus Carlsen. Have you heard of Magnus Carlsen? If you haven't, check him out. He's like young. He's 31 years old. He's the five-time world chess champion. He is He is the GOAT. I'm sorry, Bobby Fischer and Igor Stravinsky, but he is the GOAT of chess. And he's sitting here playing, and all of a sudden he gets his butt kicked by some 19-year-old American kid. It's the equivalent of some 10-year-old playing in an NBA game. It's really the story of the rookie of the movie. Or is it rookie of the year? Rookie of the year, not the rookie. The rookie's with Dennis Quaid. Rookie of the year's with the kid managing and pitching for the Twins, I think. Anyway, so this kid comes in, plays Carlson. His kid named Hans Neiman, he's an American, California, comes in and crushes Magnus Carlsen. Which is strange, because in the world of chess, Magnus Carlsen doesn't lose. So Magnus Carlsen was saying to himself, this doesn't seem right. And all of a sudden, he pulled out of a tournament and openly accused Neiman of cheating. Seems strange, doesn't it? When I read that, I thought, that's sour grapes. That's somebody not realizing that there's someone better in the world. That's someone not realizing that his time has come. Except what Magnus Carlsen did is he upped the ante by doing a Twitter post or an Instagram post or a Facebook post explaining the cheating that Hans Niemann is doing without saying exactly what it is, just saying, I will not compete in tournaments with this man. I will not play with this man. This man should not have beaten me under any scenario. Of course, Neiman denied cheating. He just said, I was better that particular day. Then rumors came out that Neiman put the anal beads in. Can't be true, but the rumor was he did. So he looked himself in the mirror and said, I want to win at chess so badly, so badly that I'm willing to take it up the tuchus. Now, was there wincing? That's what I want. If I could get Carlson on a Samson sit down, I'd like to ask when he was sitting across the table from Neiman, how quickly did he know that there was cheating? Was there sort of an eye like, ooh, like, ooh, that means the queen is moving all of a sudden. And then, ah, that means you're moving the knight. Cheating happens in chess. It happens in fishing. What's next? I ask you. Does it change the way that you watch sports now? That you're always assuming something's wrong? Or have you become as cynical as I, where you look at a performance and instead of enjoying its majestic beauty, you instead question its origin? 
Shame on us for having to believe that what we're seeing is not true, for having a level of cynicism that floweth over our cup of joy. I can't watch chess anymore. I can't watch fishing tournaments anymore. I will forever think of lead weights, fish fillets, and anal beads. You've ruined me. Now, I'm not ruined the way White Sox fans are ruined. Double transition time. Are you happy to be a White Sox fan today? Did you wake up and rub your eyes and say, is it true? Is it Christmas? No, it's Yum Kipper. Close enough. I've begged for this for a year and it's here. Tony LaRussa is retiring. Thank the Lord. Hallelujah. Tony, you're a Hall of Famer. If you were right here on set, I would look you straight in the camera and say this. You're a Hall of Famer, one of the greatest managers of all time. There is no doubt. But can we all at least agree that trying to bring your career full circle, which makes for a great story, no doubt, for returning to the White Sox again after your career started there in those great black and white unis with the huge collars. You know what I'm saying if you're from Chi-Town, from the South Side. Do you agree that your stop with the White Sox was an unmitigated disaster? Do you agree that you lost your clubhouse when you didn't back up your player? Do you agree that when you kept walking people with two strikes that you lost your clubhouse? Do you agree that you got not career years, but career defining bad years from a majority of your players? Do you agree that you were the biggest favorite to win a division that barely will finish if so at 500? I am not wishing you ill. I want you to get better. I want your heart to be better. I want your pacemaker to work. I want your life to be remembered as the manager you were, not the manager you are. But it's important for that to happen that when you leave, which you're doing today, Tony, you need to come out and explain to people, hey, I'm taking the responsibility. All right, here we go. At no time this season did either health issue negatively affect my responsibilities as White Sox manager. However, it has become obvious that the length of the treatment and recovery process for this second health issue makes it impossible for me to be the White Sox manager in 23. The timing of this announcement now enables the front office to include filling the manager position with their other off-season priorities. Hmm. Tony, you did well. You did well. When someone retires like a Tony La Russa, there's an opportunity for someone like Tony La Russa to not take any responsibility for his team for what happened with his players. He agreed that the White Sox underperformed. I like that. So with Tony La Russa retiring, the Chicago White Sox have a big decision to make. The decision is, are they going to go with another veteran manager to try to get their team, which is no longer a young team, to play to their potential? Or do they go with someone who's much more conventional, much more analytic, much more robotic, and just hope that'll make the difference? It's not a great commercial that the White Sox didn't play well with Tony La Russa managing because what we'll do is produce even more robotic analytic managers when front offices look and say, we can't have someone who does anything other than what we tell them to do and anything other than what the numbers say. Baltimore Ravens be damned. 
we're going for that touchdown on fourth and two. Tony La Russa. That'll do it. You know, there, he was a part of a lot of cheating, by the way. You think he wasn't aware what was going on with McGuire and the others? Come on. Of course he was. All right, when we come back, we're going to have a serious talk about a movie I watched directed and released by the Oscar-winning great Peter Farrelly, whose movies you've watched and laughed along with for decades, from There's Something About Mary to Dumb and Dumber to Three Stooges. This latest movie is more along the lines of Green Book, quite a bit more serious. And then we're going to talk about something that's more serious than putting weights inside a fish or putting needles inside a bum. It's about what's going on in the Women's Soccer League. We'll be right back here on Nothing Personal. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m. and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com. Welcome back to Nothing Personal. My name is David Sampson. Thank you for rating, reviewing, following. We're everywhere, sort of. TikTok, nothingpersonal.mpds. Instagram, at David P. Sampson. And there's a Nothing Personal Instagram page. Spoiler alert, Coca runs those. Not the personal Instagram. And Twitter, at David P. Sampson. We like engaging with fans. We like talking to listeners. We appreciate you. We appreciate you more than you know. And pay it back. We're here every day, 45 minutes. Pay us back. Just tell people you love us. So about a year ago, I sent an email to Peter Farrelly. I met him when he was the director of The Three Stooges, and I was invited to be an extra in that movie. So I showed up on set with my World Series ring and I was told what to wear and I wore this beige suit. I flew to Atlanta for the day. If you go to Three Stooges, I have no words because I'm not part of SAG, wondering if I should be now. And I had to do a scene with my face and there were way too many takes because I wasn't getting it exactly right. And Peter Farrelly and I spent the day together and had one heck of a time. He's a baseball fan. He's one of the great directors of our time. And we have stayed in touch over the years. 
and I contacted him a year ago. I said, listen, I'd love to have you on Nothing Personal. He said, I'm shooting a film in Thailand. I'll be back to you when I'm back. We'll discuss it. And I forgot about it. He forgot about it. We all forgot about it. That's what you do. Life goes on. Turn on the TV yesterday looking for what I'm going to watch. I go to Apple TV and there is the greatest beer run ever. I said, wow, what, what is that? I wasn't familiar with it because I don't read reviews or pay attention to any of that stuff. None of you had suggested I watch it yet because I assume it just came out a few days ago. And then it said directed by Peter Farrelly. And I said, did he do a different movie? Or is it possible the greatest beer run ever was filmed in Thailand? All of these things came flooding back. I went back to the email from a year ago to reread it to make sure I had it right and the communication was right. I pressed play. And for the next 126 minutes, I watched a movie starring Zac Efron, Bill Murray, and no one else you know. The true story about a man named Chick Donahue. During the Vietnam War, he had friends serving in Vietnam, and he decided, while the soldiers were not being treated well once they got home, he was going to thank them in Vietnam. So Chick Donahue goes to Vietnam and brings beer to his buddies who are serving in the army in the middle of a war. You can imagine what happens during the course of going to Vietnam as a civilian to try to serve beer and the things that happened to Chick Donahue from near-death experiences to understanding the horrors of war. Every review you read gets this movie wrong. It's okay for a movie to explain to people and an audience the horror of war. It's okay for a movie to show a character arc where someone goes from, hey, why are you protesting war, to wow, this war is not doing what it's supposed to do. The reality is there are people now born in 2000 who are 22. They're out of college, seniors in college, in the working world. The Vietnam War happened 50 years ago, 30 years before they were even born. I was born in 1968. If I knew something happened in 1938, I'd read about it. I'd want to understand it, but I couldn't appreciate being a part of it. Think about World War II, the Holocaust, the horrors of that. I experienced that through stories. What the greatest beer run ever will do for you and your family, it will serve as a reminder and it is not a political statement, though certainly it is a comment on war. It will teach people what they think they know, but need to see. Not in a way like Apocalypse Now or Platoon or a full metal jacket or Saving Private Ryan. The messages in the greatest beer run ever are maybe less subtle, but easier to digest. But they're not glossed over like some vanilla message where the audience is being made fun of by the writer and the director. 
Peter Farrelly does a masterful job of communicating to you what Chick Donahue did, why he did it, and what the result should be of that which he did. What's wrong with that? I could take issue with the title because it's a little misleading. It doesn't show the seriousness of the story. But that's the name of the book written by Chick Donahue, and that's what the name of the movie. Do me this, and I've suggested a lot to you because I watch a movie every single day. Watch the greatest beer run ever and watch it through the lens of someone who didn't live through the Vietnam War. Someone who's heard stories but doesn't exactly understand the way soldiers were treated when they returned. Who doesn't understand what a failure the Vietnam War was in American history. Who's used to conflicts and wars being resolved exactly as America wants them to be resolved however sloppily and manipulatively we get there and learn it through the lens of a masterful director and a star who you would not expect to have the range that Zac Efron had to show in this movie. Are there silly parts? Yeah. Are there parts that can't be true? Yeah, but they are. It's called the greatest beer run ever. Check it out. Okay, I want to talk about the National Women's Soccer League right now. I feel like this show is reflective of the day. We're about to hit Kol Nidre tonight, which is heir of Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur is tomorrow. It's a day of fasting. We're going to do a show. It's not like I'm pitching in the game, but I am going to do a show. No eating. It's the Day of Atonement tomorrow where you are asking for and receive forgiveness for all of your sins. Some of us have to start earlier than others. Kol Nidre for me begins in 42 minutes. Actually, let me be more specific, in 13 minutes. Maybe 12, Coca. What's going on in the soccer league, we've touched on it before. The abuse, the harassment, the misogyny between coach and player. We've talked about it in terms of women's gymnastics. We've talked about in terms of women's soccer. When are we going to be at a point in sports and in life when women can do things and not worry about being inappropriately touched or harassed, when they can climb the corporate ladder or be professional athletes? And I'm not arguing for equal pay. You know my view of that. There is zero excuse explanation or sympathy for anyone who takes advantage of a position of power and forces women to do things they don't want to do for fear they are going to lose the opportunity to do what they love to do. Because what happens is the women stop doing what they love to do because they don't want to be in the situation where they're forced to do things they don't want to do by misogynistic a-hole men. Sick, disgusting men and women, by the way. Women can be just as culpable. Remember the commissioner of the NWSL who resigned because she let it happen because there was money at stake. We got to keep sponsors happy. We can't let anyone know what's going on behind the curtain. Heaven forbid people realize the Wizard of Oz is actually Mishu. 
So the NWSL conducted a large investigation and the results came out yesterday. The results were scary. The results were clear. It's not just one coach. It's not just one team in the NWSL. It's pervasive throughout the league, and it still is. Even with the six out of 10 teams making coaching changes due to resignations and terminations, the abuse lingers like a stench inside Dahmer's living room. What is it about these people that makes it okay to continue after being caught? One of the best statements we've come across on Nothing Personal came from three of the soccer players, Sinead Farrelly, Mana Shim, and Aaron Simone. And I want to read it to you because this is what a statement should be. There have been too many years of inaction and too many empty promises made while players suffered at the hands of the league. No one involved has taken any responsibility for the clear role they played in harming players, not the teams, not the league, not the federation. They chose to ignore us and silence us, allowing the abuse to continue. It is time for action, accountability, and change. Owners who have driven a culture of disrespect, who are complicit in abusing their own players, have no place in this league and should be removed from governance immediately. This will be the first of many necessary steps to finally hearing our voices and keeping our players safe. It's a perfect statement with one exception. It's not that owners or people who do it should be removed from governance immediately. They should be removed from society immediately. They should be imprisoned and not in solitary confinement. They should be subject to the exact behavior which they not just tolerated, permitted, but in many times induced. There is no hell large enough for people who commit these crimes. And yes, they are crimes. I'd like one time someone to just explain to me. It's been the theme of the show. What is going on in your head? Is it a sickness? Is it a compulsion? I don't buy it. I studied law, went to law school, passed the bar. There's the forensic psychology. There's the study of criminal minds. There's TV shows about it. You can actually be innocent because you're insane. Anybody who doesn't act like that is by definition insane, but that doesn't change the fact that you did the act. What's going on in women's sports has to stop. And the problem is, as I'm preparing the show and thinking about it, I don't see the path. It's the same issue that I have with murder, with pedophilia, with stock market scandals, financial improprieties. Believe me, those are not equivalent to any of those on the scale of reprehensible, but they are similar in that I don't see the path where those things stop occurring. Because there's still people who say, I won't get caught. The other guy has a problem, I don't. This seems normal to me. When you make a decision that you don't want to read about in the paper, don't make that decision.
When you have a compulsion to do that which you know is wrong, find a way to get help before you go another step. When you see something that's happening and you choose money over whistleblowing, then you're just as big a part of the problem. I wonder if maybe that'll be the difference. The fact that we all have cell phone cameras, the fact that we can all tape what each other is doing at all times. Maybe that will lead to more accountability because there are no more secrets, Marty. There's no more hiding. Maybe that's our best last hope for the sick people to stop. I hope the NWSL doesn't fold because that would be a shame. What I actually hope results is that there's complete league turnover on the ownership side and on the commissioner side. There's a new commissioner now, a new head. And I hope that parents of 9, 10, and 11-year-old girls let their children play soccer, not fearing what could happen if they ever become good at the sport. Let their girls do gymnastics without fearing that they will be subject to the hands of abuse. That would be a good result. I guess we'll have to wait and see. Wait to see is when I say something's going to happen and then I revisit it. Unlike other shows, this bothers me about some of the shows that you are all listening to, some of the higher ranked shows. Everyone's got like a hot take about stuff and they never even care when they're wrong. We don't do that. When we give you a wait to see, which is us saying that something's going to happen, if it happens, we revisit it. If it doesn't happen, we revisit it and we keep track. It would have been very simple for me to forget that I told you on June 6th of this year that the Phillies were not going to make the playoffs. It would have been simple as pie, right? That a managerial change would not make the difference with this group of players. Simple as pie. Nope. The Phillies clinched a playoff berth because the Brewers stink. We touched on it yesterday. The Phillies sort of backed into the playoffs, but they're in. June 6th, I was wrong. Wait to see today is about Tua. If you get a chance, Dan Lebetard recorded an 11-minute video of an article he wrote about Tua's injury and about the fact that all of us watch football the way we do and we get appalled when we see injuries like what happened to Tua. We demand action, but then we say, hurry up and just do it so we can go back to betting and doing fantasy and watching our games every night of the week. True. Tua was ruled out next week versus the Jets or this week, today's two, uh, next this coming Sunday. Tua has been ruled out. Tua is not going to play for a bit, folks. Do you have any idea how careful they're going to be with Tua? They're going to overcompensate because they let him play the Thursday after a Sunday when he should not have played at all, when he should not have even gone back in the game. We touched on it last week on the show. So wait to see. It's not that Tua is not playing this week. He's not playing next week either or the week after. We'll revisit that, wait to see. But he's going to miss the Jets game and then the game after for sure at a minimum. Who's kidding who? Football all of a sudden has to go where it doesn't want to go. They have to shine a light on something they've tried to cover up so much that it took Roger Goodell's cloak to see if they could cover it up and it was not big enough. Nothing. Personal pick of the day. 0 for 2 last night. 
I can't believe the Marlins have been spoilers. And I should have known because we like to be spoilers when we were out of the playoff race. The minute you get eliminated, you want to be spoilers. You want to stop teams from making the playoffs or hurting their position in the playoffs. When the Marlins are playing the Braves, they're saying, hey, if we beat the Braves, it helps the Mets. Do we want to help the Mets? Do we want to help the Braves? Oy, we got to play the game. We might as well just win the game. Let's beat everybody. I didn't think the Braves would suffer a letdown. Now, letdowns look interesting in baseball. Owners who don't know or fans who don't realize can look at a game last night and say, wow, the Braves were let down. They swept the Mets and then they didn't have the energy at Marlins Park. Nope. What looks like a letdown, what looks like your bats falling to sleep or going to sleep is actually just good pitching. Look for that when you're watching a baseball game and you hear someone in the bar say, God, these guys stink. God, they need to do something with their bats. Instead of saying, wow, look who's dealing today. Last night it was Lazardo. He just, you couldn't hit him. Doesn't matter. The bats could have been anybody. So we lost that. I'm not taking the Rams again this season, by the way. Jimmy G brought the Niners to victory. I thought the Rams getting a point and a half would have been enough. Turns out they needed to get like 15 points for it to be enough. I don't remember what the final score was. I just know we lost. So we're 114 and 88. Tonight's game, I'm going to talk baseball with you. We've got a situation going where the Brewers, who are eliminated, are playing the Diamondbacks, who are not eliminated from having the worst record. Yeah, they're all eliminated. They're just playing out the string now. You've got two days left of the season. Zach Gallen is pitching. The reason I'm choosing the Diamondbacks over the Brewers is I want you to watch Zach Gallen pitch. He is the main competitor to Sandy Alcantara to win the Cy Young Award in the National League. The best pitcher in baseball on the National League side is going to come from a team that will not finish 500. You need a team to win in this sport. One pitcher, one player, one bat does not do it. But it is fun to watch games when Zach Gallon pitches, so check them out. Diamondbacks over Brewers. The other thing you should check out is the Texas Rangers against the New York Yankees. Aaron Judge did not hit 62 yesterday. I'm on call like a resident in Grey's Anatomy. I am waiting for the call to go on CBS to talk about him breaking the record held by Roger Maris. At bat after at bat, game after game, the Yankees have a doubleheader today. They've got a game again tomorrow, three games left, and Judge needs one home run. Do you play him both ends of today's doubleheader? No. If they DH him in both games or play him in the field and then DH him in the second game because he doesn't have his 60-second home run as a general manager or president, I'm furious. I need Judge. I don't care about the record. I care about the ring. He cannot play two games today. Granted, he doesn't have a playoff game for another week, but that doesn't matter. The last thing you need in day 161 of the season, it's really day 184, is to play two games. The Yankees have wanted Judge to hit that home run for so long just so they could rest him. What they do on today's doubleheader is going to be very telling about whether or not they're interested in the ring or the glory of the record. We'll wait and see. Sometimes it's just business. This is nothing personal. 
Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.